right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where Houston, we have lit off. Because, as it turns out, when Anthony Davis plays, the Rockets can't beat the Lakers. As the Lakers handily win against the Houston Rockets last night, 107-97, to in their return home to Crypto.com Arena, after their very uneven and shorthanded 2-2 road trip. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I will be joined shortly by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. In today's episode, I will be handling the first segment of this episode solo and run through some Lakers updates as well as some interesting new Lakers stats that I've pulled. And then after the turn, I'll bring Tommy back in, at which point we shall then talk about Alex Caruso, Zach Levine, and the potential for a Lakers-Chicago Bulls trade this season. But first off, Happy December, everybody. It's crazy that it's already December and 2023 is about to end, but here we are. The Lakers are now 12-9 and as they head into IST week in the NBA, in-season tournament week, that is. The Lakers have a first-round date against the Phoenix Suns on Tuesday. Last night, the Lakers warmly welcomed the return and debut of Jared Vanderbilt. Cam Reddish also returned from a one-game absence and was reinserted back into the starting lineup. Rui Hachimura had the potential to return. He did participate in pregame shoot-around wearing a mask, but he inevitably was ruled out at the start of the game. We hope to get him back soon. So after getting their 12th win against the Rockets, the Lakers have extended their home record at Crypto to 8-2, which is very impressive. On the road, they are just 4-7. The Lakers are currently number 21 in net rating in the NBA, but they are number nine in defensive rating, which is actually really solid. And that number should only continue to rise with Jared Vanderbilt's return, Rui coming back, and Max, Christie, and Cam Reddish continuing to get comfortable in their roles. Um, the Lakers are 24th in offensive rating, which lends to why they are overall number 21 in net rating. Some interesting team trend stats to throw your way. The Lakers are 8-2 and two whenever Cam Reddish starts. The Lakers are also 8-1 in the last nine games Cam Reddish has played, because during his first return versus the Detroit Pistons, he came off the bench. But all that to say, like I told each and every one of you before the season began, told you Cam Reddish was good. Okay, so to round out the first half of this episode, I want to quickly contextualize the Lakers' 12-9 record thus far, and then we'll close things out with some interesting D'Angelo Russell stats and an interesting Torian Prince stat that I want to touch upon. So if we're looking at the Lakers' 12-9 record, I know it hasn't been a pretty journey and ride. It hasn't been fluid at all. I know the offense has been very clunky, one-dimensional, and uninspired. The coach, Coach Ham has been quite mid, as the kids say, and quite questionable at best with his rotational decisions, his minutes allocations, and his timeout usage, or lack thereof. And I know the common refrain around Lakers Nation is that the Lakers can't beat any good teams, they get demolished by some of the better teams, and they can only win against the bad teams. Well, I'm here to tell you that that is... Kind of true, but also not really. So let's take a quick look at the Lakers' losses. Of the Lakers' nine losses, three of those losses were on the second night of a back-to-back against good teams versus Sacramento, 
versus Dallas, and then at OKC this past week. Those second nights of back-to-backs against playoff caliber teams are essentially scheduled losses for this older Lakers team. So yeah, of the Lakers' nine losses, three were on the second night of a back-to-back against playoff caliber teams, and also three of those losses also went down to the wire versus Miami, the Cam Reddish shot that he missed on the baseline, the Dallas comeback, and then at Sacramento in an overtime loss. Have the Lakers had some terrible blowouts against better teams like the embarrassing loss to the Sixers where the Sixers put up like 133 points, um, the embarrassing loss against the Houston Rockets in Houston without AD? Yes, they have. But if we contextualize the losses just a tiny bit further, you'll see it's not that bad. Now, let's look at the playoff-ish teams that the Lakers have beaten. Of the Lakers' 12 wins, the Lakers have won against the Clippers. I don't care what the Clippers' record is right now. I don't care that they were missing James Harden when the Lakers played them. The Clippers had Kawhi Leonard and Paul George playing, and that's a rare sight. They were playing against the Lakers that game. They are a good team. They're eventually probably going to make it to the playoffs if everybody's healthy. So, The Lakers beat the Clippers. They've beat the Phoenix Suns twice. I don't care what you say about the Suns and them missing Bradley Beal and even Devin Booker. They have still been a very good team under Frank Vogel's leadership. So that's a playoff team, and the Lakers have beat the Suns twice. The Lakers have now beat the Houston Rockets twice. Now, I know they're below 500, but the Lakers are the reason why they're below 500. So I don't want to see people moving the goalposts and all of a sudden calling the Houston Rockets not a good team. So far through the first quarter of this NBA season, the the Rockets have been a playoff-ish team, is what I'm trying to say. They beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in Cleveland, very shorthanded. That was a very impressive win, even though you can caveat the fact that Darius Garland left uh, midway through that game. And then the Lakers also beat the Orlando Magic at home. The Magic, I believe, this season are top three in the Eastern Conference. I think they're like 13-5, and so they are legitimately a good team. So those are the playoffish teams the Lakers have beat. That's the Clippers, the Suns twice, the Rockets twice, Cleveland, and Orlando. That's seven wins against playoff caliber teams out of the Lakers' 12 wins, with three other games against playoff teams in the loss column that could have swung the other way. So I bring all that up to say, yes, it hasn't looked pretty thus far the way the Lakers have been winning, the way the Lakers have been losing. Yes, it doesn't seem like they have a cohesive identity, but a large part of that is because of the injuries again. But if we look closer at the Lakers' record and the context with which these games happened in, the Lakers have had a tough strength of schedule to start thus far. They're at the top of the league in terms of games played through this time span with very little rest in between games. On top of that, as you all know, they've been supremely shorthanded up until recently. Lastly, they also kind of have a mediocre coach. So in spite of all of that, the Lakers are 12-9. The fact that they're three games over 500 through the first 21 games and only two losses out of third place in the West, given all of that, the Lakers have actually stemmed the tide here pretty well. Is the coach a problem? Is that a bigger macro problem that they eventually need to address? Yes, he could be. But is this team deep and talented? Also yes. And this team has done what they've needed to do thus far, considering the circumstances. So let's just relax a bit and wait for this team to get healthy. 
And look, lo and behold, here's Jared Vanderbilt. Here's Cam Reddish. Rui Hachimura on the way soon. Hope Gabe Vincent can round the corner as well. Okay, so let's move on to my three interesting stats of the day. These first two belong to D'Angelo Russell. Number one, let's talk about D'Angelo Russell's defense. Last night, D'Lo had a season-high five steals versus the Rockets. Not only did he record five steals, but he really scrapped and fought for position in the post against guys like Dylan Brooks and Jabari Smith to get those five steals. And it was quite honestly the most inspired and energetic D'Lo has ever looked on the defensive end in a Lakers jersey. Now, regarding his five steals, D'Lo's only done this one other time in his career, when he recorded seven steals, ironically against the Lakers when he was a T-Wolf. Now, apart from him recording steals in the box score, when it comes to deflections, D'Angelo Russell is also third on the Lakers in deflections with 2.4 deflections a game. He is only behind Anthony Davis, who has 2.5 deflections, and then Cam Reddish, who leads the Lakers with 2.7 deflections. So even if he's not getting the actual steal recorded in the box score, D'Angelo Russell has just been supremely active with his hands this season. His ability to disrupt passing lanes has been something that fans shouldn't easily overlook. Furthermore, as it pertains to defense, D'Angelo Russell is also averaging a career-high 0.6 blocks this season. That is third in the NBA amongst all point guards in blocks. That is also third on the Lakers team in total blocks with 12 behind LeBron James, who has 15 blocks, and then obviously AD. That's D'Angelo Russell, folks, blocking people. Now, it's more of a Marc Gasol groundbound type of blocking, but just the fact that D'Angelo Russell is doing what he can to stay engaged, even if he may get blown by by a quicker on-ball playmaker. I mean, that's all you can ask for from D'Angelo Russell, to give effort on the defensive end and use his 6'10 wingspan to the best of his ability. So summary, you can't spell defense without D'Angelo. All right, number two. My number two interesting stat of the day, this also goes to D'Angelo Russell, and this time I want to talk about D'Angelo Russell taking care of the ball. Last night, D'Angelo Russell had another zero turnover game with seven assists. Over his last four games, D'Angelo Russell has amassed 33 assists and just five turnovers. Last night was his fifth game this season through just 21 games with zero turnovers. He has games with nine assists and zero turnovers, eight assists and zero turnovers, two games with seven assists and zero turnovers, including last night's game, and then another game with five assists and zero turnovers. So when he's having these zero turnover games, he's not just holding the rock and playing it safe and not doing anything with it. He's still playmaking out there and staying aggressive and doing a fantastic job taking care of the ball and trying to make sure that he involves the Lakers' best two players in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, if we look back at the last two years of D'Angelo Russell's career, in 2022-23, D'Angelo Russell had six games with zero turnovers throughout the entire season, throughout the entire 70-plus game regular season. In 2020-21, D'Angelo Russell only had two games the whole season with zero turnovers, and that was also through 70-plus games. In 21 games this season, D'Angelo Russell already has five games of zero turnovers. That is incredible. 
Again, he is doing a fantastic job orchestrating the Lakers' offense and finding easy buckets for the Lakers' big guns in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So kudos to D'Lo on all fronts thus far, defensively, offensively. You're not going to find that type of point guard value with those high shooting percentages, 49% from the field and 41% from three, taking care of the ball in that respect on that type of contract. So don't take it for granted. Lastly, my number three most interesting stat of the day, it goes to Torian Prince. First, the good part. Torian Prince is now shooting 14 of 28 from three in his last six games. That's 50%, folks coming from the 40% Prince that was promised. Slowly but surely, Torian Prince is finding his shooting stroke. He was shooting under 30% just a week ago, but his three-point percentage has now crept up to around 34%. Now the bad part, or the concerning part. Not really an interesting stat, but just a stat that I want to point out and then expound upon. Torian Prince is averaging 29 minutes a game this season. Even with all the injuries that have happened to the Lakers forwards, there is no reason for Torian Prince to be playing this many minutes. This is the most amount of minutes he's averaged since the 2019 season with Brooklyn. The last four seasons, Torian Prince has averaged 22 minutes, 17 minutes, 18 minutes, and 23 minutes. In those seasons, Torian Prince shot 38% from three, 37.6% from three, 35% from three, and 41% from three. This season, he's shooting 34%. His lowest three-point percentage since, you guessed it, 2019 when he also averaged 29 minutes a game. That season, he only shot 33% from three. Now look, Torian Prince is a good player with good size. He provides great experience. He has Darvin Ham's trust very clearly. Um, He's got good activity. And he's got the solid broad strokes of a 3 and D guy. I like Torian Prince. I like him better than Troy Brown Jr. In the right context, he can be that experienced vet 3 and D guy much in the same vein that Danny Green was for us during the championship season. But that's only if you limit Torian Prince to around 18 to 20 minutes a game. The moment you start giving Torian Prince 26 to 29 minutes consistently... It's depreciating value from there. So that's all I want to say about Torian Prince averaging 29 minutes a game thus far. I really just hope as we continue to get healthy, Darvin Ham can remove himself from this new bromance man crush of his with Torian Prince and revert more to, not revert, but deviate more towards playing the younger, higher upside players with better athleticism and burst in Max Christie, Cam Reddish, Jared Vanderbilt, Rui Hachimura, but namely Max Christie and Cam Reddish. All right, so that'll do it for my three interesting stats of the day. Why don't we take it to break first? When we return, I'm bringing Tommy in, and we shall finally address those Chicago Bulls, Alex Caruso, Zach Levine trade rumors, and whether or not we are keen on a trade for either player or both of these players, and if we are, what we'd be willing to give up. So we'll catch you guys after the term. 
Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. All right, so we are back. Quick personal plug here now that we're in the first week of December. If any of you have kids, especially little daughters, and you guys are looking for something to watch as a family, please do me a favor and check out Do Drop Diaries on Netflix. It's a preschool animated show about little magical fairies who help out around the house that I worked on. Our second season drops on Monday, December 4th. Your boy wrote episode number 38, Baby Glitters Club, so look out for that. You can also check out episode 21, Chore Score. I wrote that as well. But essentially, I worked on every episode of the show as a script coordinator. So do me a favor, check it out, stream it on repeat, and indoctrinate your children this holiday season with Dewdrop Diaries on Netflix. All right, enough of that. Let's talk about Alex Caruso and Zach Levine. So I'm here with Tommy now. Tommy, real quick, let's go through some lay-of-the-land trade logistics stuff. As a reminder, the Lakers cannot make any trades with any of the players that they signed this offseason till December 15th, which is coming up in less than two weeks. So on December 15th, who can the Lakers trade? December 15th, the Lakers can trade D'Angelo Russell, Gabe Vincent, Torian Prince, Christian Wood, and Cam Reddish. Not any earlier than that. And then on January 15th, that's when the Lakers can also trade Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. Regardless, nothing can happen before then, just a bunch of conjecture. But because of that, there has been a lot of smoke with the Chicago Bulls, particularly, and their implosion and incoming explosion and just them toppling over. So there's been a lot of talk about Alex Caruso, obviously. And so, Tommy, I want to ask you, Previously, we had talked about what would you give up for Alex Caruso. Now that we've got a little bit more data on the Lakers and this team, have your viewpoint shifted on what exactly you're willing to give up for Alex Caruso? Because I believe in prior talks we had said using Jalen Hood Shafino as the primary piece there to get Alex Caruso seems a little bit rich. I don't know if we'd necessarily do that, but... Yeah, have your viewpoint shifted on that? I think we were okay with, you know, giving up a couple seconds. I think it's clear the Bulls will not give up Alex Caruso for that. And if they start a bidding war amongst a lot of the other teams in the league, particularly the Sixers, a lot of contending teams, they may even give up like a late first rounder for Alex Caruso. Um, But yeah, let's say that the deal is centered around Jalen Hood-Shafino. It has to be. Well, not it doesn't have to be. But for salary matching purposes, Jalen Hood-Shafino... 3.6 3.6 million, Torian Prince, 4.5 million, and add in whatever additional veteran minimum guy you want to that package. It's important to note that the Lakers, because they are hard capped, 
I think they only have $5 million below that hard cap to avail of, and that's not even including like a 15th man roster spot. So the Lakers pretty much have to match salary within one to two million. But where do you stand on JHS, Torian Prince, maybe a couple seconds for Alex Caruso? Would you be willing to give up a 2029 first for Alex Caruso? Because for me, I think it's starting to get a little crazy. I think people are starting to get a little crazy about Alex Caruso where they'd be willing to give up a future first for just Alex Caruso. Where Whereas for me, I still remember last season at the trade deadline when we traded a top four protected 2027 first, Russell Westbrook, and got back D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley. And so I don't necessarily think Alex Caruso equals all of that players. They are different players. But where do you stand on Alex Caruso is the main question. So I'm definitely not anywhere near where some of the crazies on Twitter are, right? This is like the same. This is like the I don't want to I'm not equating these players. I'm just saying like it's the same thing that was going around when um, it was like we want Derek Fisher to come back to the lake. You know, it's like we have the nostalgia and it's partially nostalgia, partially we know that it fits, right? Like we know the Caruso, AD, LeBron, like those guys fit. Um, we know what Caruso does defensively. He's still one of the most elite perimeter defenders in the NBA. I think a lot of the overreaction here, it honestly, is like if you're thinking about like eight, nine, eight to ten guys that you're going to play, put forward as, as part of your playoff rotation, how many teams out there are rolling out more than like two, three kind of like pretty good uh, like or like two to three like really good perimeter defenders I, it's not that many you know what I mean I mean we and, and the problem with us is our two best perimeter defenders are Vanderbilt and Gabe Vincent and they've both been hurt the entire season so we are comparing Alex Caruso defensively to D'Angelo Russell we're con- comparing him to Austin Reeds and so yeah in those in that context it seems like yeah it would be great to to get him but it's like then okay so what are we losing we're losing Torian Prince who recall when Alex Caruso was on this team, like one of the problems we had was too many defensive guards and not enough defensive wings. So we're we're reverting back to that issue, right? It's like Vando is a really good defensive uh, player, but he wants to defend on the perimeter more. Torian Prince is a real true strong wing defender. That's like not something to just like kind of like, oh, whatever, that's fine. Give him up. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it was, people are being a little casual about this stuff. It's like we can't reload a save here. Like if, if we do the trade, like it's over. That's the trade. Like they, now we have Alex Caruso. And you tell me, where is Alex Caruso finding minutes with, um, you know, I, you didn't mention Gabe Vincent in this trade. But I'm like, mm-hmm. so if we have Gabe Vincent, like where is he finding minutes with with Austin Reeves, with D'Angelo Russell, with Gabe Vincent? Who's 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 taking? less so that we can play Alex Caruso and then on the other hand it's like we don't want to play like smaller because then it's like that takes away minutes from Rui and Cam Reddish and like these other guys who have and Vando and these other guys who have kind of had success for us um this year and, and in the case of Vando in the past so I don't think it's like it's so easy like cut and dry like let's let's get whatever it costs let's get Caruso that's what we need perimeter defense like we don't really know what we need yet, number one. And number two, Alex Caruso is just, he's not that guy necessarily. Like, he's hes a very, very good and elite perimeter defender. But offensively, in many ways, he's sort of the same player. Like, he's having a hot stretch to start this season shooting the ball from three. To the extent he's done that in the past, it's never held up over a full season. So we'll see where that goes. But, like, you know, it, it he kind of... 
is who he is and that's he's not a bad player but at the same time trading your mid first round pick in a deep draft that you just drafted and haven't had a chance to develop yet which by the way with Phil Handy who's like turned water into wine multiple times like you know like trading that and a strong good sized wing defender with length who could shoot threes for a 6-5 guard who is going to have questionable playtime with the other guards we have on the on the roster given like kind of what he can do offensively like I, I just think it's 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 a much much more complicated decision than people are making it out to be Mm -hmm. what if i told you gabe vincent i don't know why gabe vincent would be part of this package because if the bulls are blowing it up why would they want three million dollars or not three million dollars three years of gabe vincent at 11 million dollars i think some lakers fans are saying well they can just flip him for something else and i'm like okay good luck but let's just say it's like alex caruso gabe vincent swap and you you add jhs as a sweetener maybe the lakers take on julian phillips who is their draft pick one of their later draft picks this year who i'm actually intrigued by he's a wing but if that's the case could you see because i mean having alex caruso and jared vanderbilt on the same team and then cam reddish on top of that that could really tip the scales for us. And if you're particularly thinking about the Denver Nuggets matchup, well, I mean, that's when Alex Caruso is just locking the hell out of Jamal Murray, and that solves that problem. And then you have, you know, Jared Vanderbilt flanking him. I think I've I've started to come around a little bit more to just Alex Caruso being that trump card that the Lakers need, and I want to give some premium to the fact that We've seen his fit with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and how smart a player he is. So you don't have to worry about necessarily things snapping back into place or like things having a slow ramp up because I think they will naturally snap into place because of the prior chemistry with each other. And so I'm not saying Alex Cruz is going to continue shooting 45% from three like he did you know, at the start of the season. But even if it's back to Alex Caruso is 0.73s a game hitting 35% from three, I don't even care. If he could, if his body can hold up and you're telling me all I have to give up is JHS, maybe Gabe Vincent or Torian Prince, maybe Max Christie because he's expiring and he's a Chicago kid. I think I would, I acknowledge that that's a little rich, but if we're looking at what Alex Caruso might command in the, in the market from other teams like the Sixers, if that's the price it takes to get Alex Caruso, I think I would do it. So JHS, Torian Prince, Max Christie, would you do that for Alex Caruso? Um, today, no. But you okay. know, ask me in close, maybe in a, in a month, two months, once we sort of see what it is actually that we need, then maybe. Okay, that's fair. I think I think you bring a good point up with regards to would we be clamoring so would we, would we be so thirsty for Alex Caruso right now I, if Jared Vanderbilt had played in ga- since game one, you know, and I we're actually I, a top and, and five Gabe defensive Vincent, team and Gabe Vincent. I like again, Gabe Vincent's not the same level of of elite as Alex Caruso, but in terms of just a positional defender, he's in the upper echelon in the league, right? So plus he can shoot threes and and had hit them at a decent um, was hit, was looking pretty good as an offensive player in the preseason so i'm like i definitely think we need more time there i I just think like yes i I understand why people are having this reaction it's like when you have alex caruso compared to the guards that we've been running out there it's it's a like it's just such a wide gap in defensive ability but that's because our two best perimeter defenders have been out 
Yeah. Now, can you expound upon why you think it's even more insane outside of that baseline package I presented to then tack on top of that a future first round pick? particularly the 2029 pick just for Alex Caruso. Yeah, that's just crazy. I mean, like we did that, we did that like absurd rust trade with only one pick that had like a partial protection on it, right? So it's like it, it JHS is just like weeks, like months removed from being like the number 17 pick in a super deep draft. Um he has like tremendous upside and and you have the ability to control him for 4 to 5 years. So that alone is kind of a lot to give that uh, a lot to give up for Alex Caruso. If you give up a first round pick, like first of all, twenty twenty nine is crazy, right? But even if you lotto protected it, like you're not, you know, another team is not necessarily getting the same type of guy as JHS, especially a team like the Bulls who's looking to rebuild now. Like here's your prize, like basically like mid lotto, like late lotto type of player as as a rookie to just start developing right now like if your if your rebuild window is now you know that might be even more valuable than the 2029 pick but you know the 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 picks are just like again i get back to the reload save comment i made like this is an nba 2k like we have to live through the consequences of these decisions we're not just going to start a new franchise and, and and you know rebuild from the ground up like we have to think about these things and we don't have a lot of flexibility and we need to save these picks in case a superstar becomes available that we want you know especially to stem the tide in the post lebron era and yeah you know we can't look back at the time that Giannis is available and we only have one first round pick because we burned one on Alex Caruso and one on some other you know scrub who we didn't really like wasn't even that much of a significant upgrade over what we had on on the roster already just because like guys are frustrated that the defense isn't where they think it should be yeah and I, and I understand it from both ends because obviously you're also thinking about this is LeBron James last fully guaranteed year he has a player option next season so you got to do everything you can but at the same time you also just have to be responsible because after LeBron James like you mentioned it's just Anthony Davis and so if you don't have any ass- assets to complement Anthony Davis then we're screwed either way you know and yeah, if if that's a top twenty nine protected twenty twenty nine first, maybe <laughs> you know, but that, yeah. those things don't happen. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. So I, I would assume that it's almost a non conversation starter to even talk about Zach Levine and Alex Caruso and what that would take. So Zach Levine's making forty million dollars. Alex Caruso is making nine million dollars. Nine million dollars this year. That's forty nine million dollars combined. In order for the Lakers to cobble up enough salary in order to get those two players, you need D'Angelo Russell, $17 million, Rui Hachimura, 15.7, JHS, 3.6, Gabe Vincent, 10.5, Torian Prince, 4.5. So if you package all those five players and then tack on top of that the 2029 first, you can get Levine and Caruso. Do you what do you think of that? <laughs> So I think my issue with Levine, right, is like if you're comparing Levine and D'Angelo Russell as like one to like making a one to one comparison between the two players, like maybe Jack, Zach Levine, like maybe in in a draft, like most teams in the league would take him first, right? Starting with blank rosters before before D'Lo, I mean. 
the issue is we know at this point what D'Lo looks like with our stars, and it works. He can hit the threes. He could play off the ball. He could play with the ball. He can play make when you want him to. When you don't want him to play make, he'll hit hit catch and shoot threes. He's been doing those things. Zach Levine is not like a huge upgrade defensively on D'Lo, which is like kind of D'Lo's biggest problem. Um, you know, I, just throughout his kind of career, he's not like the worst defender in the league, but he's not like giving you a ton right on that end. You're not getting a significant upgrade there, and you're bringing in a guy who has historically been a scorer and had the ball in his hands and been the guy for his team. You again, it's not NBA 2K. You can't just assume that, like, well, the stats are high, like the numbers are higher, so it's better. It's like, no, you, there's a one ball on the court, and we don't know what Zach Levine is going to look like. There's certainly going to be an adjustment. And although I think he's a really, really, really good player, I just like, if you're really serious about trying to win a championship, I don't think you make a trade for Zach Levine and think it's just like midseason, you're just going to figure everything out. Again, the caveat to all of this is if we're in December, late December, mid-January, and we're still kind of struggling as a team and kind of floundering with no sense of direction, like then you start thinking about maybe these roster overhaul type of moves. Cause this is like a roster overhaul, even if it's yeah. two players, it's like, it completely changes the dynamic of how this team is going to work. Um, so that's why I, I hesitate with the, with the Zach Levine step to me. That's like for a serious contending team, like, uh, you know, maybe if you're the Sixers, you do something like that. I don't know that it makes sense for, for us where we already have LeBron and AD. Yeah. I, I, for one, have always loved Zach Levine. You know this. I wanted the Lakers to draft Zach Levine over uh, Julius Randle back in 2016, whatever year that was that they got drafted. Uh, so Zach Levine has always been one of my guys. And if it was just a straight D'Lo for Zach Levine swap, and D'Lo is also one of my guys. So that's the one trade that I'd be like, okay, sucks to see D'Angelo Russell go again. But oh my God, Zach Levine as a Laker, this is my prophecy fulfilled. So... Even having said all of that, I wouldn't want to make this big of a splash and this big of a trade because I don't want to include Rui Hachimura. <laughs> you know, I don't want to include Rui and, and size going out. I don't want to include Gabe Vincent and even though we haven't seen him play, Torian Prince. Like it's just too much to give up. At the same time, I will say I feel like Lakers fans may be underrating Zach Levine at this point. I know he's making forty million dollars, but in the new NBA landscape, that is that's actually what all-stars make, you know? I mean, Jalen Brown's going to be making like $58 million soon, you know? Um, and a lot of people have been using Zach Levine's percentages this year to equate that to D'Angelo Russell being better. You know, Zach Levine's like 41% from the field, like low 30s. But if you look at Zach Levine's last three years, he has been a very efficient offensive player. I think last year he was like 48-38. The year before he was 50% from the field and 41% from three. So he's been actually very efficient offensively. My biggest issue with Zach Levine is in no way can you argue that Zach Levine is a better playmaker than D'Angelo Russell, right? And if we're shipping that out, what is going to happen to just our offense? It's going to it's going to be even more my turn, your turn type stuff, you know. And LeBron James is going to have to take over. Like the Clippers, a good example of like what yeah, happens yeah. when you do that, right? It's like it's these guys are very, very, very talented, but they have to play in a system. If we're just isoing all day, it's going to be a very clunky offense. 
Yeah, and then it's like LeBron James full-time point guard again. So there's a lot of more questions surrounding a deal like this than sure answers. You know what I mean? And if, again, like Tommy mentioned, if we're in, we're in mid-December, late December even, and things are, have just gone off the rails, maybe you think about pulling a trade like this. But right now, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, um, even if you're getting Caruso tacked onto it, because... I just want to see Rui continue to grow. Like having this length and having our identity built on length and strength, Tommy, I think is the way to go, regardless of how the season is panning out, you know, like stocking up on all these guys who are versatile, but also strong and long, athletic, like that's the identity I want us to build moving forward around AD. But, but yeah. All right. So that'll do it for this episode. Sorry that it was another stopgap mix and match episode that involved some pre-recorded segments, but We're hoping to have some live instant reaction episodes to in-season tournament play probably towards the latter end of this week or early next week, so stay tuned for that. Till then, please follow us on Twitter at LakersLegacyPod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify app. Also, please consider donating a buck or two to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thelakerslegacypodcast. We would very greatly appreciate it. Um, Till next time, that'll do it. This is Jonathan Hernandez. That's Tommy Alexander. Peace out.